One of the uh, one of the most important things that we can do for each other is pray. I remember uh, sharing this quote during our One Another series. Prayer is perhaps the greatest service we can render our fellow believers. To know that, that someone is praying for you or to actually have someone pray with you can be very meaningful, very helpful, very encouraging. Yesterday, as, as most of you will know, we had a day of prayer here at the church to conclude our, our 40 days of prayer. And I'm, and I'm sure that throughout those 12 hours, because we met from 8 in the morning to 8 in the evening, but during those 12 hours, I've no doubt that, that many people were praying for others, whether they were doing that quietly in the quiet spaces or as we came together five times corporately, people were praying for others. Plus, it was great to be able to, to give people the opportunity to have someone actually pray with them. And I know that some people took that opportunity and that chance. And it's something that we, we want to encourage and, and we want to continue to provide. And so tonight, if, if you're here and you would love someone to just pray with you after the service, just ask. And it can be for anything or about absolutely anything, big, small, significant, simple, whatever. If you would just really value someone praying with you, then, then just say to us and, and we'll provide someone to do that. Another key resource that we use to try and encourage this practice of praying for one another is the prayer digest. And, and these are available uh, for everyone. And on every day of the month, we have a list of people who we can be praying for. And so today, on the 11th of each month, we're praying for Paul and Jenny Harron and Angus and Dermot and Benedict. And we're praying for Robert Hastings. And we're praying for Jonathan and Lisa Havron and Chloe and Charlotte. And we're praying for Simon and Joe Hewitt and for the little life that is growing within Joe. She is pregnant. Uh, and for John, and people knew that by the way, I wasn't just, you know, people knew. Uh, and for John and Louise Haywood, they are down for today. And I know that many people here in this church use that daily prayer digest as part of their daily rhythm of praying for one another. There are about 450 people in here who are connected to Windsor. And if, if you're not in there and you come along, we reissue this every year. And so if you're not in there and you'd love to be prayed for, just speak to Gordon afterwards and he'll make sure that the next edition includes you. I love the fact that on the sixth of every month, somebody, hopefully maybe more than one, is praying for myself and for Glennis and for Shannon and for Karen and for Kristen. Praying for each other is so important. And throughout the New Testament, we know that this is something that we're, we're encouraged to do. In fact, we're expected to do this. But when it comes to actually doing it, when it comes to today, the 11th of the month, what do you pray for Paul and Jenny, for Robert, for John? What, what do you pray? Bless them? <laughs> yeah, can. But what can we used to kind of fuel our praying for one another. So there are times when we, we know there are specific needs and that, that, that's great. But sometimes there may be just a name. 
because we don't know them that well. So how do we pray for them? Well, tonight, I want us to look at a prayer, a New Testament prayer that was offered by someone, used by someone as, the, as they were praying for their friends, for their brothers and sisters in Christ. A prayer that I believe we can kind of take off the shelf, if you like, and use it to pray for one another. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul's. Ruth has read part of it already. And so far during this series called Conversation and Encounter, because that's what prayer is, we've been saying, it's a dialogue and it's a meeting. But we have thought about some of the ways that we can pray and we should pray and we do pray. And so, so far we've thought about praying in adoration. We've thought about praying in expectation. We've thought about praying in humility. And then if you were here last Sunday morning, we, we looked at this whole issue of praying in anger and that there is a place for that. There are times whenever we are angry and it's good whenever we're in that place to come to God in prayer. But tonight is a little different, although if you kind of want to keep this idea consistent, what I really want us to think about is praying in thanksgiving and intercession. So if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1? It's page 1178 in those red pew Bibles. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. Ruth read us up to, I think, about four or five. But we're going to go right through to verse 11. And in, in, in June 2013, we actually looked at these verses as part of our Keep Calm and Carry On series. And so if you were here on that Sunday morning, which is probably not that many of you actually, uh, but some of this might sound familiar to a few people, at least I, I hope it does. <laughs> Now, as with most of Paul's letters, have a look at this. As with most of Paul's letters, he starts by confirming who it's from and who it's to. But as Paul does that here, he identifies himself and Timothy and his recipients using two very particular terms. And both of these terms help to clarify and cement our identity. Who are we? Who am I? And right at the beginning of Philippians 1, we discover how we should describe ourselves. Paul and Timothy, verse 1, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Now I know we have looked at this before. But here is how you as a Christian should define yourself. And the reason this is so important is because identity matters. How you define yourself, how you see yourself, what you think about yourself will have a profound impact on how you then live and behave. If you see yourself in a negative light, what often happens is you behave negatively. If you see yourself in a positive light, then there's more of a chance you will behave positively. Think about that. But right at the start of this letter, Paul identifies himself and Timothy as servants and identifies the people he's writing to as saints. Now, in some translations, and in fact, the one that, that uh, Ruth read it actually says slaves rather than servants. But you kind of get the idea. It's a similar thought. It's about living beyond yourself. 
It's about having a kind of others-focused basin and towel mentality. Now, although Paul identifies him and Timothy as servants, it, it's not just a title that's reserved for kind of leaders and apostles. All Christians should be a servant. And Paul makes that very clear in the next chapter in Philippians 2, and we all know where he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who became a servant. This is how all Christians should live. This is who all Christians are, servants. Now, ultimately, we are servants of Jesus, which is what Paul says here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. But what that effectively means is if you're a servant of Jesus, then you're going to be a servant to others and of others. Just that, that's natural. That's the way it works. If you serve Jesus and follow Jesus, then as Jesus would often say, you've got to walk as he walked. You've got to serve others. Again, a quote that I've used before. We love, serve, and care because that is normal behavior for those who are filled with God's Spirit. Christ was the ultimate servant. We can't help but, that should say, serve because the Spirit of the servant has filled our hearts. And when we serve as Christians, we're just naturally being who we are. We're servants. But then we are saints. And, and again, I've mentioned, that, that's a title that probably jars with some of us. Paul addresses this letter to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Now, again, some translations, I'm not sure the one that you're holding, the one that Ruth read replaced saint with the term holy people, to all God's holy people, which is fair enough because in a sense that, that's what the definition of a saint is. Someone who's different, someone who's set apart, someone who belongs to a different order of things. But I want us to stick with saint. And throughout the New Testament, saint is a word that occurs over 66 times and is the customary word that is used for Christians. You're saints. Now, I know that many of us would be reluctant to walk out of here and to go home and to say, to know something, I am a saint. Very few of us would want to say that. And yet, if you are a Christian, that's who you are. That's, that's what you are. If I see myself through this lens, it is going to have a positive impact on the choices I make. I'm a saint. Therefore, I'm going to live accordingly. I'm going to be distinctly different. I'm going to make choices that reflect Christ-likeness. But notice that what Paul actually says here, and, and this makes all the difference, because I'm not a saint, you're not a saint because of anything you've done. I am a saint, as Paul says, in Christ. This isn't about some kind of self-effort or self-improvement that's necessary. This is is about embracing what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Jesus has done for us and us putting our trust in him and choosing to follow him, we can then say, yeah, I am a saint, not because of anything about who I am, but because of Jesus. I am a saint in Christ. Servants and saints. Okay, let's move on. 
And let's stand, as we often do, for the public reading of the next part of God's Word. So here's then what what Paul says in in light of the fact that he has clarified who he is, who the people receiving this letter are. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Take a seat. And so, as, as Paul starts to actually pray for his brothers and sisters in Philippi, he, he prays in gratitude, in thanksgiving. And therefore, as Ruth has, has alluded to, he, he prays with joy in his heart, in his heart. And he prays that because of their partnership. Their partnership in the gospel means so much to him. This is something they share in together. You see, Paul doesn't see himself as a a sort of lone ranger Christian out away doing his own thing. He recognizes, he celebrates the fact that he is part of a good news community. As Paul does what he does, He thanks God that there are those who support him in what he does, but he recognizes that there's others doing similar things in their context. So he says, I thank God, and I thank God with joy in my heart for our partnership in the gospel. We're in this together. I'm not on my own. You're not on your own. We're together in this. And even in that, there is a model there for us to embrace that that as we look around this evening, that as we come together for corporate worship on Sundays, as we gather in small groups as we will this Wednesday evening, as we serve alongside people, as they're serving alongside a team out at Clay at the moment, as you serve in parent and toddlers infused, wherever it is that you serve alongside others, you can actually say, God, I thank you that we are in this together, that we are partners in the gospel. They're partners in sharing the good news of Jesus with those that we come into contact with. But in addition, as we pray with this sense of thanksgiving and for our partnership in the gospel, Paul then confirms an amazing truth that that we can pray for one another. He says, listen, what God has started in you, he'll see through to completion. The work of grace that God has started in your life through the gospel, it's going to be carried on until the day of Christ Jesus. That fixed date in God's diary when life as we know it ends and a whole new future opens up before us. And what God has started, he's going to continue and complete because God doesn't give up on any of us. He journeys with. He walks beside. He adds finishing touches too. 
what God has started, he will finish. Can you and I see this Christian life through to the end? Probably not. Can God see us through to the end and into a brand new beginning? Absolutely. And that in itself should give us a huge amount of confidence. Particularly if we're going through tough times at the moment. We're struggling. We feel like we're limping along. We're getting distracted. And we're taking our eyes off the prize. And we're feeling like we're sinking. That we're not staying above the waves. But actually to know that what God has started in me, he's going to see it through. I'm not going to see it through. He's going to see it through. I love the way Eugene Peterson captures this in the message. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish. Surely that has got to be one of the most encouraging and inspiring realities you can pray for someone. Now, don't worry, I'm I'm not going to ask you to do this at the moment. But can you imagine turning to the person beside you, sticking a hand on their shoulder, bowing in prayer with them and just saying this, thank you, God, that what you've started in Andrew's life, you're going to see it through to completion. You're going to see it through to the end. Is that not one of the most encouraging things that anybody could pray for you? But although this is true, and this is a fact, Paul knows that 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 doesn't mean you kind of then sit back and just press cruise control. Doesn't mean that in the Christian life it's all going to be plain sailing. And and so many people who are here tonight and a number of people who are not here tonight know this all too well. Doesn't mean it's going to be plain sailing. Doesn't mean there's going to be difficult days. There's going to be potential problems around most corners. We need to play our part. We need to stay focused. We need to keep on running in order to get the praise. We have a part to play in this. And therefore, Paul goes on to pray very specifically for these saints, having given thanks for who they are, for their partnership, for the fact that God's going to keep keep working on them right through to the end. He then prays that certain things will happen to keep them on track. And in a sense, this is my prayer for you this evening. And this is how I would love us to pray for one another. And there are three things here. There are actually lots in in there. But I just want to draw attention to three things as as I close. And the first of these is found in verse 9. Here's Paul's prayer for them. That your love would overflow or it would abound more and more in knowledge and in insight. Now, we we tend to think of love as a sort of heart emotional thing, and then knowledge and insight as, as head things. But for Paul, these were and these are directly connected. They're not separated. And, and so what we're really talking about here is a growing love for God and others that comes and increases through a deepening knowledge of God and insight into the things of God. Let me, let me say that again, because this, this is really important. What we're talking about here is a growing love for God that overflows and abounds more and more, a growing love for God 
and others that comes, that increases as we deepen our knowledge of God and who He is. As we get to know God better and learn more about Him, then our love will intensify. And so how do we grow in knowledge and insight of God? Well, primarily, we discover who God is and learn more about His character through His Word. And so Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi and our prayer for each other is this, God, would our love for you and for others overflow as we discover more and more insight and knowledge about who you are. Because God is love, and we can only love because God first loved us. And so as we get to know God better, as we grow in our knowledge of who he is through reading his word, engaging with his word, then we begin to see our love for him and others increase. And so I pray that our understanding and vision and worship of God would continually expand as we engage more and more with his word, and then we watch as our love spills out and overflows to him and to others. The second element in this prayer is that you'll be able to discern what is best. There's, there's kind of different ways you can look at what Paul was really meaning here. But one way to see this is that he was, he was praying that they would increasingly know the right thing to do. That they would be able to make good calls, good choices, including good moral judgments, that you'd know what's best for your life. That they'd begin to grow or they would progress in being able to tell what is the difference between good and evil so that they can be, and this is Paul's prayer, so that you can be pure and blameless, so that you can be sincere and faultless. And I don't know about you, but that's a prayer that resonates with me because we live in a world of increasing shades of gray where good moral judgments seem to be at a premium. We're knowing what the right thing to do is becoming more and more difficult, more and more of a stretch. And so I need to pray this for myself. I need people to pray this for me, that I would be able to discern what's best, what's right, what's good, what's positive, what will lead to life. And finally, in verse 11, the third thing that Paul prays for is that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of right living. And again, whatever else this refers to, and it is, it's a pretty multi-layered meaning here, but whatever else it refers to, it includes the fruit of Christ-likeness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those nine segments of the fruit of the Spirit of Christ that is to be growing within us, that is to be on display in our lives as we become more and more like Jesus. And so Paul's saying, I am praying for you that you will live fruitful lives, that people will see your love increasing and your joy and your peace, etc., etc. And so this evening, I want to encourage you 
to take Philippians 1, verses 1 right through to 11, and to pray it for yourself this week, but not only to pray it for yourself, to pray it for others. And so I want you to give thanks for your identity, for that person's identity as a servant and a saint. Thank God for your partnership in the gospel with others. Thank God that he will finish what he started in your life and in the life of the person beside you and around you. And then, not just in thanksgiving, but in intercession, pray, God, that their love, that my love would overflow as I get to know you better. That I would know, that they would know how to discern what is best and make good choices. And that I would live and that they would live fruitful lives. And so that, in a sense, is what I'm praying for Paul and Jenny and for their family and for John and Louise and for Robert and for the others who are not here this evening but are contained in the 11th. Pray these things for them. Pray these things for each other. And notice what will happen. What is the result of all of this? Look at the end of verse 11. That God would be glorified. That God would be glorified. As it says in the New Living Translation, for this, this type of living, this type of life will bring much glory and praise to God.